I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is episode four of the Merry Biz podcast with Lisa Messenger from The Collective. Welcome to Merry Biz. Get inspired to live your best life and learn what it takes to create an epic business from the world's most amazing entrepreneurs. We're your hosts, Emma and Carla Pappas. Let's get our merry biz on. Today's guest is one of our biggest inspirations and we're so excited to have her on the show. She is the CEO and creative director of The Messenger Group, as well as the founder and editor-in-chief of The Collective magazine. She's authored and co-authored over a dozen books and The Messenger Group has custom published more than 400 books for companies and individuals. She currently runs a multi-platform business with over 25 staff, delivers a monthly magazine and support products, all while maintaining life balance. Now, if you haven't guessed already, welcome to MaryViz, Lisa Messenger. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're so, so excited you're here. And we like to start off with the same question for every guest, which is, what has your day been like so far? What's the agenda like? <laughs> Crazy. Someone said to me the other day, um, what's your normal day? I'm like, there is absolutely no such thing as a normal day. And I'm sure any entrepreneurs out there can relate to that. Uh-huh. What have I been doing today? We've been doing a lot of big visioning and strategy stuff for 2016. And uh, I've been playing around with some finalizing, some editorial and our covers for March and April issues of Collective Hub. What else? I'm looking up a big deal at the moment in the US, which I can't talk about, but there's a lot of chewing and crowing about that. And I'm actually working on my next book, which is also very exciting. So I'm always kind of jumping in and out of all sorts of things. There is never a dull moment, let me tell you. That oh my gosh, so it cool. sounds like a very exciting day. And speaking of books, we've just read your latest book, Money and Mindfulness, and we're so excited to chat more about that um, a little you. bit into the interview. But first, we wanted to know about how you started on your 14-year business journey. Where did it all begin? Oh, well, I got fired. <laughs> Pretty much, which was the greatest thing that ever happened. No, I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, but basically every single business I'd ever worked for, I wanted to have equity in, and I'm doing very um, jaggy inverted commas with my hands as I say that, uh-huh. because I had no idea what equity meant. I just thought it sounded really important. And uh, and so the last business I was working for, I was kind of running their Sydney office, and then they brought a guy in above me, and that didn't bode well with me, and I was a bit of an arrogant little upstart. <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of had a bit of a tantrum and the managing director at the time said, well, perhaps it's time you leave. And uh, and so I did. But you know what? He was so supportive and he was um, 
actually extraordinarily amazing because I essentially set up in competition to them and he was incredible and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I kind of got that shove that I needed and then I jumped out and jumped into business on my own and then kind of went into a good solid three years of over-servicing and undercharging, mm-hmm. as I'm mm-hmm. sure many people can relate to and then finally started to to work out how, how the game was played and yeah and it's been a big learning curve a pretty amazing adventure ever since. Oh, it sounds it. So with the Messenger Group, can you give us a little explanation of what you guys do? Yeah, so there's a, I mean, I have a lot of kind of different businesses now, but probably most people know me most for Collective Hub, um, yes. given that's the loudest and proudest and the most successful with the biggest footprint and the one that's my real baby that I love. But the Messenger Group as a whole is really um, a content creation and branding agency. So we help people, you know, create extraordinary brands and, and content and things. And we really put that on hold almost for two and a half years because the collective just went freaking nuts like so much bigger than anything I could have ever imagined and the print magazine went into 37 countries within the first 18 months and we have uh, over 18 different or more now extensions that we've built kind of off the central brand so a lot of the client stuff kind of went on hold and we had to maintain focus but we're really gearing up again to to do a lot more of that for people which is fun oh yeah. it's so exciting i mean we are big readers of the collection yeah, magazine we love it. and yeah. we, we love seeing the beautiful covers love reading it the quotes and all the amazing entrepreneurial stories it's so inspiring Thank so you. what we'd love to know is like what directed you to start the magazine ah uh, well no first i have to ask you where did you guys first come across it <laughs> well actually we first actually discovered you from the oh, book yes. the little book it's um, called books to boost your brand oh that little baby okay yeah, yeah. So, so our friend collie from soma organics gifted us two of these books and we read them like in an hour and we were like oh my god who is this lady we love her <laughs> and then we found you on instagram and then we were like she is the magazine like what is this magazine I, I think we i think we actually had heard of the magazine before but we didn't like you know when you just don't put two and two yeah. together and you don't really delve into it too much but then like ever since then we're like oh we need more of this in our lives (laughs) thank you I love to hear that that's fantastic okay now back to your question (laughs) yes why a magazine well look I started it in March 2013 gosh that sounds like a long time ago now and it sort of feels like ages ago and at the same time I feel like I just started it yesterday (laughs) but I just look I think any good business comes from a real pain point and when you're really pissed off about something and to be honest I was just pissed off with the media like I just found there was so much gossip and negativity in a lot of the mainstream media at the time and I just wanted to do something that was for entrepreneurs and creatives and kind of brought inspirational and aspirational um, stories together that sort of told the truth and dug deeper. You know how you read about someone and you're like, oh, they're amazing, but they're so unrelatable and it's so unattainable because you can't mm-hmm. even imagine how they got there. And so I thought yeah. I want to form some kind of media where, you know, we can really get the grit and the real stuff behind and the pain and everything else that takes to getting there. You know what I mean? Like it's the same reason I yeah. write my books now because I don't want people just to go, oh, wow, the collective 
that's cool. It's in 37 countries and it's a great success story. And it is, but I want people to understand that it has been the freaking hardest <laughs> journey of my entire life every single day and what it takes and the kind of hustle and grind that you need to get there. So that's kind of what the collective is all about. And it started with a print magazine and then, you know, it's it's print's a tough market and I came into it not knowing anything about anything, having never worked for a magazine and with three staff who also never worked for a magazine, which was great. Like naivety can be an extraordinary thing. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we need to be where people want us, on a platform they want us at a time they want us. So we've been creating a number of different extensions since then. Yeah. Oh, it's – well, it's an empire, isn't it? That's what we always say. We're like, oh, look at that empire. It's brilliant. <laughs> and I know you probably don't like to pay, um, play favourites, but we did have to ask, has there been a favourite cover or a favourite issue of yours? Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but yeah, I, I have some definite standout favourites. Our uh, current issue with the Flemingos on it is <laughs> just, you know, the funny thing, I mean, I could talk about covers for days, but the reality is, you know, we have, I mean, this is probably a really important lesson for everyone, and I talk about it in some of my stuff that I've written, but um. The thing is with anything in life, you've got to kind of play that game between commercial reality and, you know, what you really want to do. And so you'll notice a lot of our 29 issues have got celebrities mm-hmm. on the cover. And what I realized early on was in Australia alone, and that's one of 37 markets for us, there's over um, 5,500 print magazines. Wow. So there is a lot of competition. And so whilst I wanted to launch with things like the Flamingos because I freaking love it, um, it's very hard launching something that is just kind of a concept when people don't really understand. And so what I realized is if I needed to sit next to, you know, Harper's and Vogue Mm -hmm. and Vanity Fair and Marie Claire and the magazines that were really well known, then I had to kind of play the game a bit and look like them. And so that's why a lot of the time, you know, we've very purposefully chosen celebrities that are also entrepreneurs, but we've chosen recognisable faces for the most part. Mm-hmm. But my two favourite covers are issue 23 and issue 29, which I don't know if anyone's seen. Issue 23, I put a woman's back. Oh, yes! <laughs> Love that one. And I kind of went... It was counterintuitive and went against everything that should be a magazine, uh-huh. and that is that you have someone looking straight down the barrel of a camera, or you have a well-known person, you know, righty, 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 right. And let me tell you, that issue sold 35% wow. more than our next best-selling issue, which was Ryan Gosling, which I also <laughs> loved. But, <laughs> so I think, you know, it's fun now because we've got a really solid brand and so you know now I'm able to play and um, be a bit more kind of wild and unexpected and you know do things differently and really shake shit up so yeah so expect to start seeing a blend of you know celebrities and then things that are really unexpected and different so that's fun you know it's 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 a fun game that is so cool and do you think like um social media and your presence online impacts that massively i tell you what our community are insane off the charts it gives me goosebumps every (laughs) single day just how active people Mm. are you know and 
people share the covers of the magazine and my books and it is, you know, that is second to nothing. Like it is extraordinary. And, you know, I can be at the centre of the brand and I can be a conduit or the brand architect, but really the brand is owned by our community and without that social sharing and amplification, we would be nothing. So I am indebted every single day and have so much love and respect and gratitude for every single one of the people out there who supports us. When we read your book, Money and Mindfulness, you spoke a lot about how you got the magazine up and running and that you pitched to this big Australian bank. And I'd love you to tell that story. (laughs) Well, yeah, so Money and Mindfulness is a lot about, which, I mean, you guys will know and you could probably say so much more about it than I now could have read it um, from your own perspective. But, I mean, I wrote it because I think so much of the time, particularly in small business and startups, people think that there's only one currency and it's cash. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, you know, there's certain traditional ways to do business deals and things. And so I wanted to, again, tell the story behind the story of the collective and debunk a lot of those myths and also say that making money and doing good in the world don't need to be mutually exclusive and, in fact, they can go hand in hand. But the story with the bank, I mean, I this is where you have to get your hustle on. And when you really believe in something, you know, you just keep banging on doors. And finally I banged on the Commonwealth Bank's door and they had a campaign called Can at the time uh-huh. and so I kind of figured that they couldn't say no. <laughs> caught them at their own game, clever as I thought it was. And um, and so Andy Lark was the CMO there, the Chief Marketing Officer at the time, and finally I stalked him and stalked him across every single channel and eventually one night about 10 o'clock I sent him a tweet. I hadn't been able to get in touch with him. and But someone said to me, he's really prolific on social media. So a good lesson there is learn what platforms or where people hang out that you need to connect yeah. with. And, Anyway, I literally, I had been trying to get in touch with him for months and um, I sent him this tweet and within about four minutes he tweeted me back. I just said, hey, Andy, can we catch up for a coffee? He said, sure, how about um, two o'clock tomorrow, (laughs) which was extraordinary. And, you know, I was kind of almost crippled at that point because I thought, whoa, this is it. This is the meeting. Like this is the guy who can make a big decision around this. Mm -hmm. And um And I went in, and this is sort of probably lesson number two in this story, I went in equipped with nothing, like, except my brain and my vision and my passion. And I just talked to him, human to human, and he just bought into the vision and he said, I freaking love it. And luckily, he still really believed in entrepreneurs and he still believed in print. And he said, how much do you need? And I set a figure, which was several hundred thousand dollars and he said okay we'll do it and you know the lesson number three in that is it actually didn't matter if it was twenty dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or two million dollars so it doesn't matter the fact is that someone outside of me said yes I'll back you and the fact was it's someone pretty freaking big and so that kind of gave me the external validation that I needed at the time to kind of go okay I reckon I'm onto something you know if this guy who's pretty much the biggest marketing head of marketing in this country at the time is going to back me then I'm onto something and so then I just um learned how the hell to do it I had no idea when I pitched to him how on earth to create a magazine wow Um, so um it was on a wing and a prayer and that's kind of a lot of what I talk about in money and mindfulness it's like sell it and then work out how the hell to do it you know so often people write these laborious 100-page business plans, and I write a lot about that in my first book, Daring and Disruptive, and they um, spend all their time, money, effort, 
and you know deplete all their resources and then they realize there's no market or no one's interested in it Mm -hmm. whereas I'm kind of the complete opposite I'm come from the school of Lisa Messenger fail fast and I kind of you know I just put it out there and I go okay no one wants to buy it we'll all morph pivot iterate change knock it on the head whatever (laughs) um and then move on you know or yeah so so that would be my advice you know and ever since then I've not once been to a meeting with anything other than myself and now my magazine and my books which is a nice sort of business card but um I never take a PowerPoint presentation not once have I ever done that and I go in and I just you know I have a human conversation and that's you know extraordinary things come from that yeah 100% and I think like that just shows such a big sign of like being truly passionate when you don't need those other things to support you even like the energy in your voice it just comes out in it doesn't it and I know that in launching and then learning like there's so much in that so I'm sure lots of our listeners will get very inspired from that yeah 100% you spoke a little bit about like just you know really knowing what's right and that you knew that this was going to work and in your book there was this quote and it was not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. And I just loved that. I need Lisa to tell me more <laughs> about how she makes decisions via your intuition and that gut feeling. Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, 95% and that maybe even underestimating it of every single decision I make is based on gut and intuition. Now, <laughs> having had businesses for um, well, over 14 years, it's probably 14 years and two and a half months now, um, I, I suppose, you know, I've pushed things pretty far and so I've been able and I've tested lots of things and I've failed a number of times and all sorts of other iterations and so I guess over time I've instinctively honed my gut and intuition so now I can make decisions very quickly and 100% of the time if I go with my gut it's Mm -hmm. right and um, it's only when I don't trust it that you know things tend to fall over. Um, so, you know, I think gut and intuition is such an mm. invaluable thing and I think we underestimate it. I mean, don't get me wrong now, you know, we slice and dice a lot of data and, you know, I have systems and processes of rigor around a lot of what we do, which is not a natural yeah. disposition for an entrepreneur. We generally hate that kind of thing and anything that's too process driven but you know as the business has grown mm-hmm. and it's across so many different channels and geographic locations now I have to have that rigor behind me but um but every single time it's got an intuition and then I follow it up with you know looking at some of the you know crunching the numbers or doing whatever I need to do around that but um but numbers really aren't everything and I mean that's a lot what money and mindfulness is about and also indeed that quote it's about you know the greatest things in life really are monetary and I think when you stop you know when you take away the cash as the only currency life and business becomes so freaking exciting because it means that there are any possibilities and in money and mindfulness Um, I talk so much about, you know, all sorts of different deals that I've done, whether it be trading product for ad space or, you know, all sorts of different things. And I just give lots and lots of tips around all of that kind of thing. And I think it opens up a whole different 
way of doing business and uh, you know and it's exciting as long as people's values and vision and belief are aligned and it makes commercial sense and it feeds the community that you're um, servicing then you know you can do business in so many different ways yeah we absolutely resonated with that like reading about doing business and swapping and trading services and things like that and I think that's just what's going to become the norm soon and it was so exciting to read it in print and it just got us like yeah it was so awesome and so going back to like intuition is there anything that you do that really helps you become more in tune with it I know some of our listeners they haven't really gotten into meditation they might have just started on this whole journey is there something you do that maybe our listeners could start yeah there I I have a lot of rituals now um and I suppose I've been Mm -hmm. practicing those for about 11 or 12 years in some form or another um and you know I did a lot of personal development um for many many years and I still do but and that's kind of led me to certain paths and I've tried lots of different crazy wacky things all over the world but I guess it's just about working out what works for you so for me because I'm so kind of frenetically busy now one thing that I've realized is you know when I'm in the office I'm not productive I'm busy kind of Mm. putting out fires and reacting to things and helping my team and, you know, um, being a leader and revving everyone up and all that kind of thing. But I don't actually get any visioning or strategic work or my writing done in the office. I do all of that outside the office. So I think it's really important to start to realise, you know, where are you most productive and what works for you. And also the other thing is I think we, you know, just leading on from that, we get so busy and frenetic and we think, oh, we've got so much to do and we've just got to keep doing it. And sometimes you've got to get out of your own way, you know. And so for me um, it's about being quiet, which does not come naturally to me at all. Like <laughs> my my idea of meditation is like a freaking hard spin class or going for a hard yeah, ride yeah. or doing boxing. And so a lot of my meditation involves um, movement. But, you know, for me the definition of meditation is just being able to basically switch off my brain stop the noise you know and when you're for me when I'm training like a hard-ass mad woman it there's nothing I can do I cannot think about anything other than what I'm doing at the time so that for me is meditation but I also now do transcendental meditation so theoretically um 20 minutes I'm doing that inverted commas thing again with my hands (laughs) 20 minutes 20 minutes twice a day of chanting a mantra now I do not do that religiously I try and do it you know when I can and it's part of my daily practice but I think the thing is for people not to get too hung up on what should be I mean I was interviewed by a a wellness magazine recently and they said oh but what type of meditation do you do and I was like well I kind of do my own kind of meditation but they wanted to box it and say no but is it this or is it this and they're kind of putting words in my mouth and I said no it's not any of that it's whatever I need at the time in the moment to get out of my own freaking head that is my meditation and so don't I mean I would say what works for me works for me and it's my journey and my own experiences but what what works for me doesn't work for everyone so just I think people need to be kind to themselves and just find out okay what works for me you know there's so many different diets and rituals and fads and things out there and it's just work out 
work out what kind of nurtures you and what helps you to be the best version of yourself. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, definitely. Exactly what we yeah. live by. <laughs> oh, and what we, that's exactly what we tell everyone. <laughs> don't, don't be stressed. You don't need to worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lisa, you did mention your team. So we'd love to talk about that. And we know you have about 25 staff, don't you? Yeah, I have uh, what am I, 26, I think, oh, now. Oh, wow. amazing. <laughs> so 26 full-time people in our Sydney office, but we have about 80 freelance writers. So uh, I think something that's really important for people to remember is, again, for years I only had three staff and I used to feel really um, judged. Like people would say to me, how many staff have you got? And I'd say three, and then I'd feel like a big loser because I'd think, well, that, God, I have not many staff. And then I realised that's actually one of the most clever ways you can work because for years we, I just had, like, loads of freelance writers and designers. And, you know, you pull in people and teams according to whatever project you're working on, and it's the most clever way to work. So don't ever let people judge you by, you yeah. know, how many staff you have. And it took me a lot of years to reconcile that. So... You know, even though we have 26 staff here now, you know, I almost wish it was less, although they're all amazing, but they're just the people that I need, like it's an imperative to have them internally that sort of work with me on all the strategic stuff and the, you know, day-to-day stuff now. But anything that I can outsource, I do outsource. So how do you keep on top of what everybody's doing? Are you like the manager or do you have someone else doing that or is it lots of like meetings to and froing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting (laughs) because... Like any sort of startup and high growth startup, you, you don't know what you don't know until you're kind of in the middle of it. And it's sort of it's sort of funny. Like when I launched the magazine, I am um, the print magazine, I had no idea having never worked for a magazine. I, so I used to look at imprint pages of other magazines and go, Oh, maybe we need a deputy deputy editor. What do they do? Or maybe we need a editor. <laughs> What do they do? Like, no, and then, you know, Google, oh, oh, okay, that's what they do. Like, no idea. And a lot of it, to be honest, we've just made up and done our own thing, again, intuitively, kind of going, well, I think it makes sense that we now need to do this bit. Okay, let's get someone that works like that, rather than trying to box people according to what is traditional in the industry. Um, yeah. But now I have five department heads. So I have... Um, head of sort of design and creative and then head of content and editorial, head of sort of marketing who looks after all our sort of marketing, digital, PR distribution stuff, um, head of advertising and then head of finance. How many is that? I can't even add up. Five or six. <laughs> anyway, and so then they all have their own teams. So, uh-huh. so we have sort of um, direct kind of executive meetings with you know my head department heads and then they kind of feed through all the teams but I mean as I said when I'm in the office um I literally spend most of my day walking around the office just um, having conversations with every single one of my team and checking in I'll go sit with the designers and go hey I want this on the page like that I, I cannot design for crap. Like I, if I, if you ask me how to physically design something on a page, I cannot do it, but I can completely 100% vision exactly what I want on a page. So my yeah. my design team are amazing. I can go with this there or with this, and they'll just take it either way. How they do it, they're amazing. From my head onto the page, it looks exactly how I want it and often better. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so I spend a lot of time just, you know, then strategizing with my – ads and partnerships team about you know who we'll do partnerships with and yeah so I spend a lot of time you know in the pit with everyone I guess and that's really important at the moment but I also get out of their way and let them get on with it. Oh it sounds like an awesome place to work and I mean from it's <laughs> and my dog Benny 
sitting right next to me as we oh, chat. Oh, and <laughs> he's we have seen Benny in lots of your Instagram pics and he's so cute. <laughs> so from an outsider's point of view, like, you know, watching from um, Instagram and social media land, it seems like you're a big risk taker. So in your eyes, what would be the biggest risk you've taken in your business journey? Uh, well, definitely the collective um, as, a, as a whole. Yeah. But um, on a daily basis if not almost an hourly basis now I'm taking like insane risks I can't even explain the magnitude of the risks um I I did talk about it in Daring and Disruptive and Money and Mindfulness that my accountant who had been with Peter WC for 24 years or something said in all his years there he'd never seen anyone take such big risks but um and you know that's pretty hairy like I've got something that I'm launching in a couple of weeks and it's you know, it's kind of like you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and fairly permanently uh-huh. uncomfortable and and kind of squirming because yep. I'm like, holy, ugh, here we go again. And, you know, but I've just got to keep pushing my limits and putting stuff out there and that's the only way that we kind of move forward in such a kind of – at such a rapid rate and also yeah, yeah. that we're able to, you know, disrupt – entire industries and change mindsets and really hopefully help and reach a lot of people so I I have to keep pushing you know I can't just sit back and go well that was nice (laughs) 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 but it wouldn't really achieve what I want to achieve yeah that is so awesome to hear and so exciting to hear so like obviously a lot of amazing stuff has happened through all this risk taking so how important is it to actually reflect on all the amazingness and celebrate these epic business wins it's important but you know it's a really interesting question when I had a much more one-dimensional business i.e pre-collective you know maybe one fantastic off the charts amazing thing would happen once every three months or something like that and so when that happened you know I would jump up and down and celebrate and get excited and it would be like wow incredible um I would not be exaggerating if I said every single hour at least something off the freaking charts unbelievable (laughs) is happening at the moment and so what's tricky about that is I would be in a perpetual state of like excitement anxiety like all sorts of other things so it's sort of weird the bigger we get the calmer I have to get and um I sort of I always acknowledge the wins but uh I do it in a I do it in a relatively calm like I'll be I'll always say to the team which is really important like wow guys freaking awesome job but I don't hold that space for too long like we just keep moving because um because it's all like that now. Totally. <laughs> but in equal, in equal measures, off the charts, freaking beyond exciting and off the charts, freaking on the edge all the time. And so I I would I can't I can't afford to stay in that state because it would be just um either catatonic in a ball on the floor <laughs> or like climbing freaking walls because I'm so excited. So it's sort of weird. I have to maintain a state of equilibrium through the middle of it all. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it's totally. like a calm intensity. Calm intensity, <laughs> indeed it is. <laughs> So, Liz, we're almost out of time. Um, It's been so amazing talking to you. We do have one last question for you. But before we get to that, we'd love you to tell everybody where they can find you and where's the best place to connect. Ah, thank you. Well, Lisa Messenger or Collective Hub across um, all social channels, so Facebook, um, 
Instagram, Twitter, etc. That's the best thing. Or collectivehub.com are all my books and all daily feeds and all that kind of thing. So yeah, check check those out. And our very last question is: we love we love to ask everyone this: is what is the one mantra you're living by at the moment? Anything's possible. I think I came out of the womb saying that. (laughs) That sounds kind of gross. But, um, yeah, that is that is what I live and breathe by every single day. It's been so amazing talking with you, Lisa, and we are daily inspired by you on your Instagram feed and things like that. Thank so, you. So grateful for your time thank and thank you, you once again for sharing your epic journey, story, insight with our listeners. Awesome. Absolutely loved it. Great to connect with you guys. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.